Welcome to episode 818 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus, and today we are continuing our 30-team trip through the majors, our team preview podcast series, going in order of worst Pakota projection to best Pakota projection. We are now on our third episode, and it features the Cincinnati Reds. In the second segment of this episode, Jeff Paternostro will be talking to C. Trent Rosecrans, the Reds reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer. But in our first segment, we will be talking to the author of the Reds essay in the BP Annual and one of our favorite baseball writers, Russell Carlton. Hello, Russell. Hi, I finally got you guys to talk about the Reds. Yeah, well, it's not easy to do. There was a running joke early in this podcast history about how we never talked about the Reds. And that was when they were good, by the way. Yeah. At the time, there were reasons to talk about the Reds. The the first year that we had to apologize for it, they made the playoffs and we had to (laughs) explain that they didn't really have a, that it wasn't like a, a tense division race. Like they were just like a good team. They were a really good team that played well. And what's there to say about a good team that played well? It wasn't like they were like, you know, Anything interesting? They were boringly really good. Yeah, now they're and I would I would take boringly pretty good over the current incarnation of the Reds, and I'm sure Reds fans would also. We'd love to devote equal time to every team in this podcast preview series. You know the equal time rule, but what some people don't know about the equal time rule is that all it says is that you have to provide equal time to a political candidate who requests it. And the Reds are not really requesting our time these days. They are just sort of existing. In fact, Russell's essay in the BP Annual began with this. Let's preview the 2016 Red season. It's going to be rough. Those are the only five words you really need to know. <laughs> so we could end it there. But be sure to won't. support our uh, sponsor, BaseballReference.com Play Index, <laughs> and use the coupon code BP for uh, Ben and Sam. I'm Russell. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, right. And here is Jeff with you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we will get into a a couple things that at least relate to the Reds. And I kind of am thinking of the Reds as a cautionary tale these days because the Reds did a lot of things right. They developed a lot of internal talent. They put a good team together with guys like Joey Votto and Johnny Cueto and Jay Bruce and Homer Bailey and complimentary players like Devin Messeracco and Todd Frazier and Zach Cozart all homegrown people, and then they added Aroldis Chapman, who came up through their system, and and they turned into a really good team, and they still never won a playoff series. And that incarnation of the Reds just faded away. And so I think it's kind of a cautionary tale about rebuilding or building from within, and that we're kind of conditioned to think these days that you can just do what the Astros have done or do what the Cubs have done, 
and you just have to decide to rebuild and get some prospects and presto a couple of years later you'll have a good team and you'll win the world series or something really good will happen and the reds example kind of suggests that you might build a good team and then that good team might never win a playoff series and then it might become a bad team <laughs> and that might be all you have to show for those several years of your franchise history and what the thing is i mean like you know vado is an actual you know he's a, he was a red uh, developed player and and so, I mean, it wasn't even that, you know, they were just developing a bunch of boringly average guys. I mean, they got a guy who came up through their their system who is, you know, in the orbit of, you know, he's going to get some MVP votes this year. And, and Cueto, Cueto too. Cueto was arguably yeah. the second best pitcher in baseball for over a multi-year span. Yeah. And I mean, so they, it, it's, you're right. I mean, it's in some sense, they kind of did what you're supposed to do. They, they have a, you know, a great reputation for, churning out those complimentary players and then you know occasionally one or two of them hits and become something a little bit more than that and, and in the case of Vado and Cueto you're right for a couple of years though that was that was a that's a pretty good yield for any farm system right there and you know yet it just kind of never clicked you know they ran into the pirates for a little bit and they, you know, they just kind of, they went to the playoffs and it, it just didn't happen for them. You know, you think about maybe, you know, a couple of lucky bounces and we talk about how the playoffs are a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we go back, we, we replay time and, and, you know, we flap a few butterfly wings and suddenly the, you know, the reds are winning the, uh, you know, they, they won the, you know, the 2013 world series or something like that. I wonder how, how different uh, our assessment would be and, and, you know, how we would be fawning over the exact same things of what they did. Yeah. Cause I mean, they won 97 games in yeah. 2012 and they won their division and that's really all you can ask well, of the team. And, and not only that, but they won, they won the first two games of the division series against the giants and they just completely destroyed them. And then if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, I think Cueto hurt himself in one of those games and they had to use. I, I'm, I might be totally botching this, but I think they they had to use their bullpen to cover the rest of that game. Mm-hmm. And then Cueto couldn't come back later in the series. And basically, the Giants were able to erase a two nothing deficit in that series. But I mean, yeah, when you're up two games to none, you've you've done it. You've done the thing. If you lose from there, well, that sucks. But the process that you followed, you know, got you to a position where you should have been in the LCS or where you were poised to be. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I was thinking about just just now with Cueto and and Votto. I mean, if like when the Nationals drafted Strasburg and, and Harper, they they were like arguably the two most hyped draft picks in the draft era, and they you know they they those were two amazingly lucky years to have the first overall draft pick. And if you had told them or told us at the time that Strasburg would turn into something as good as Cueto and that Harper would turn into something as good as Votto you'd think, well, you'd be over the moon. Like, that would be an amazing return on those two guys. Uh, and the Reds did it. They had it. And neither one was like a, you know, particularly surefire thing. They were both, you know, prospects. But they were, you know, they, it's not like they gave them $12 million bonuses or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder whether part of the lesson is that you can't do anything by half measures, maybe, in that... The Reds never had a top 10 payroll throughout those years that they were good, and maybe it's hard to do in that market, but regardless of the reason, they never did. And so their their window or their time of being good was about four years, and 
and they were only good in three of those four years. Maybe if you are able to spend more, you can combine those homegrown prospects with some free agents and and actually keep that window open for a little bit longer. And then maybe it's the same lesson with deciding to tear it down and rebuild, which they've done now, but it seems like they did it a little too late or or a little later than maybe you, you would have liked to do it. There was a, a Reds fan caravan event recently and Walt Jockety, the president said, you know, he was talking about how they traded Chapman and they traded Frazier and how fans were not happy to see those guys go. And Jockety said, quote, we felt they were at the peak of their value for what we'd get in return. And that seems like a, a difficult case to make that that those guys were at the peak of their value when the Reds actually traded them because the Reds tried to contend last year. They didn't really trade any of their guys before last year. They signed Marlon Bird. They seemed like a team that thought it was at least going to give it a run. And then by the time they traded Chapman, he had a year left on his deal and the domestic abuse allegations and a possible suspension looming and Todd Frazier slumped in the second half after being great in the first half. And so it seems like they waited a little long and then maybe circumstances not entirely in their control. They haven't been able to trade all the players that they wanted to trade like Bruce and Brandon Phillips. So maybe they didn't manage to stick around as long as, as you'd like because they weren't able to spend as much money as some other teams would have. And maybe the rebuild is not as encouraging as some other teams to this point because they didn't quite strip mine the roster as quickly and as completely as some other teams have. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, maybe maybe they did hang on to to Frazier too long, or maybe they did, you know, maybe they should have traded him at uh, mid-year, you know, pending again what the offers were out there for him. But, you know, you kind of, if you look at you loading up for what was 2015, it, it was a team that wasn't all that far removed from being, you know, again, a, a playoff caliber team. And if you kind of see that the end is coming of that window, then, you know, maybe you just kind of have to say, you know what, this might be, it might not be a great chance, but this might be our chance that, that we kind of have to, to go for uh, at this point. Even if it's not much of a chance, it, it might be the best one that we, we have is to kind of hope that, you know, some, you know, lightning strikes and we kind of, we get some magical year out of that. And, you know, now that's, that's gone. And, um, you know, obvious, I mean, it's pretty patently obvious what they're doing. I remember when I sat down to, to write this and I remember thinking, boy, you know, I, I mean, I could talk about specific players, but by the time that this, the, the book itself comes out, you know, Phillips might be gone. He's still there. Frazier might be gone. He is gone. Jay Bruce might be gone. You know, um, anybody want Homer Bailey? Really? Anyone, anyone? Homer Bailey going once, going twice. I was even struggling to, other than, uh, you know, don't write about Vado, don't write about Vado. I was struggling to find, you know, any player who I felt reasonably comfortable would be still on the team who would make an interesting story. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of where they're at right now. And I guess then, you know, the, your hope now is that in the same way that, you know, Vado wasn't the prospect that everyone was talking about when he was coming up, um, you know, seven, eight years ago. And Cueto wasn't the, you know, going to be the next Cy Young winner, um, according, you know, it, when he was a prospect, but they turned out to be, you know, MVP and Cy Young caliber guys. You kind of hope that the cast of characters that they have now that they're developing, that one or two of them does the same sort of thing and turns into something special. 
And I mean, there's not really one that, that kind of sticks out right now is, is the problem. And, you know, maybe the, the marketing slogan this year is, um, hey, let's play the lottery of which guy is going to end up uh, uh, being our superstar in five years or something like that. I, I you know, it's not much of a, uh, it's, it's not, it's not much of, uh, of a compelling storyline. So I guess we're not going to talk about the Reds again for the rest of the year after today. So you, uh, you alluded to your essay, which uh, was all about why the Reds shouldn't trade Joey Votto, which uh, is very counterintuitive in this day and age. We are just conditioned to believe that if you're going to be a, as bad as the Reds are this year, then you, you know, you don't keep veterans who are 31 years old and have tremendous value to a competitive team, uh, particularly, uh, you know, corner guys who, um, you know, might, don't have all that much of a margin before they're not stars anymore. So how did you look at this team that is in no way going to compete next year? Realistically, probably is in no way going to compete in 2017 and conclude that Joey Votto is a crucial part of this team. Well, it isn't that he's a crucial part of it. It's just that, I mean, realistically, his contract right now for, you know, he it would essentially be signing an eight-year contract because his contract runs till 2023. And so, I mean, you are basically signing a an eight-year contract at $25 million a year uh, for a corner guy. And yes, a very good one. And, you know, maybe on the open market, you know, Vado would get that that kind of deal right now. Of course, I don't know if it has an opt out in it because you got to have an opt out if you're if you're going to be a free agent this year. But uh, you know, there there aren't that many teams who can sustain that kind of contract who are going to go and do that. And how many of them need first baseman right now? But now Vado's under contract, so the Reds are going to want something back for him. And so, okay, now what, who's going to be willing to pony up the couple of prospects that it would take to to get Vado? And at the same time, take on the contract. And so you kind of, you start playing that game and realizing that when you apply all those criteria, suddenly your list of teams goes from, you know, 29 to, I don't know, is there a team out there that fits that particular set of, uh, of uh, characteristics? And, you know, the thing I, I said was that, you know, they're not going to be bad forever. And, you know, if, if Votto had three years left on his deal, maybe that's the sort of thing that you you throw out there and you say, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's play, let's make a deal and see what we can get for this guy. And you might have a market for him right there. Cause then it's, it's not much of a risk, uh, on the long-term uh, stuff, but you know, they're not going to be bad forever. And a guy like Vado, who has, you know, consistent track record of being an all-star level player and even an MVP level player, guys like those, you know, they tend to still be pretty good, even three years, five years out. And so it, at the uh, at the end, you know, at the end of the contract or in a couple of years, he's probably still going to be a decent player. And if some of these guys mature, you know, then he's 34. Yes, he's a first baseman. He's a corner player. He might uh, he might lose some value. But what I, I came up with was that, you know, it's not a bad contract in the way that we think of, oh, it's going to be an albatross because, you know, he's going to be making all this money and he won't be you know, an MVP level player, he'll be, you know, merely a four five win player or something like that, which, you know, <laughs> horrible thing to have on your team, you know. And then at that point, you know, you've got a good complimentary piece. And so I, I came up with, you know, Vado's contract isn't bad. It just kind of does something that people aren't expecting. It's an insurance policy that in a couple of years, if the Reds start making noise again, you know, they have a guy who is, you know, even if he's still, you know, just a four-win player, he, he's, you know, he, they have that that luxury of having a four-win player already on the roster. 
and you know you pay a little extra to have that uh, that insurance that uh, that that uh, it's there. But you know, otherwise you'd have to go out and try and find that guy in the free agent market. And when you know you're playing with Cincinnati's payroll, you know that guy might not be out there even in 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 a few years, even if you have what looks to be a good team. So, you know, it's 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 not a very satisfying contract from that perspective, but it does serve a function. The other, well, okay, so the other question that you might bring up for a team that isn't gonna gonna win uh, in the immediate or maybe even medium term is the manager. And so Brian Price was hired uh, after the Reds' uh, last good season. I think they won 90 in Dusty's last year. He's, so he's managed two years. They weren't good years. I don't know if he's a great manager or or the world's worst. I, I honestly have no particular way of assessing it. He has never stood out to me in any particular way, but maybe he's great, maybe he's not. It doesn't matter. The point is that you could definitely get away with firing him right now after those two years, nobody would nobody would be shocked or look funny at you if you you fired him. So, if you had a team that was in the Reds' position and you knew that these next couple of years were going to be all about building up to something, and you know you don't want the whole thing to to look too too awful, but you're definitely building toward say 2018 or something. You're building a core. What would you do with your manager's spot? Like, what would be your goal for that position on the team? Well, I mean, I guess firing Brian Price right now would be kind of maybe. You know, if the if the Reds lose ninety games this year, like you say, I mean, you could say, oh well, you know, get rid of the bum and bring in, you know, and, and all the fans would go, yeah, you know, we've had three bad years under him, and okay, fine. But uh, you know, I mean, I guess the question is, you know, is he is he working in the clubhouse, and is he, you know, developmentally, he he the team may lose ninety games, but that's just, I mean, that's just one little piece of what a manager does. I mean, you want a guy who is going to, you know, help these, these kids. And, and there are some kids on the team are going to, is going to help them through, you know, 90 losses, 95 losses. And, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that failure? And, you know, you might need a guy. um, And I, I don't, I don't, don't know if Brian Price is this guy or not, but who can, who can actually, walk them through that and walk them through those really tough times with basically without giving up. You know, my favorite definition of team chemistry is why should I care? And then team chemistry is the answer to that. And you have to have somebody who's going to make these guys care when it's going to be really, really easy to give up. And for the long-term health of the franchise, you need a guy who can get in there and slog it out, uh, slog out, slog his way through those, uh, those tough times with those players and still have them care about, you know, yeah, I still need to do this work or I need to do this, you know, study this film or I need to work on this swing or, you know, whatever it is. And that's, that's the guy you really need to do that. You know, judging a manager by win loss record, that's how fans do it. It's a really bad way to judge a manager. But I think that, the, uh, the the guy that you want down there, and whether that's Brian Price or not, is the guy who is going to to keep them on, you know, why on, to be able to answer the question with why should I care? With well, here's why I should care, um, and maybe it's just you know because you like the color red. Well, I want to end with maybe one one question that might produce a, a more encouraging answer. I don't know. We'll see. But Jose Peraza, who was the best prospect acquired in what was generally seen as an underwhelming haul 
this offseason. He came back in the three-team Todd Frazier trade. And I won't ask so much from a scouting perspective, although you are somewhat familiar with him from your time following the Braves. You live in Atlanta. But I'm curious about him because he's kind of an interesting prospect in that he has sort of two conflicting attributes in that one, he has youth, and we generally understand youth to be one of the best things a prospect can have. He made his major league debut at age 21. That's usually a good sign. He was the youngest regular player in the International League last year. That's generally a good sign. He's an up-the-middle player. That's generally a good sign, too. But he has been traded twice in the last year, in the last six months, I guess, or seven months. So what does that tell you about a prospect? Because on the one hand, he was traded to someone who wanted him. Someone asked for him, thought he'd be good. On the first hand, the team that had him and maybe knows him a little better was okay with giving him up. So how would you weigh all of those things as a as a statistical analyst of prospects? Well, I mean, you could say that he was um, he was wanted by two different teams mm-hmm. and he was not wanted by two different teams. And one of those, te- you know, two of those were the same team, you know, <laughs> right. um, <laughs> the, the, you know, the Dodgers <laughs> wanted him and then they didn't want him. So is that um, worse? That's probably worse, right? I will. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know how many has done a study on that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to write this down. I need an article for next week. Um <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I mean, Peraza has been, he, he's, he's kind of the, you know, I mean, he's the classic sea ball, slap ball, run, 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 run kind of guy. And, you know, the, the question was, he a shortstop or is he not a shortstop or is he, is it going to place better at second base? And, and what does that mean? And, and from what I understand and, and from what I hear, and I'm, I'm no prospect town, but from what I understand, you know, there's, there's a place in the major leagues for that kind of talent that he would at least, he would at least be able to contribute to a major league lineup but at the same time i mean that skill set doesn't usually i mean unless you are an extreme version of that and you know i mean unless you're like ichiro it it just doesn't it just doesn't produce a lot of value it kind of produces you know the maddening amount of of uh value i remember when i wrote the rangers essay a couple years ago um with elvis andrus and the you know how the, the problem there was that not that he was bad, but that he was probably the 23rd best shortstop in in the majors, which means that, you know, you're probably not going to get somebody better just kind of scrounging around on the waiver wire to say where you could just dump him. But at the same time, you know, I mean, it's what you what you see just isn't all that interesting. And boy, I think you were trying to make, you know, a, a uh, ask a question that wasn't going to end up in the, oh, well, you know, this just isn't all that interesting thing, but (laughs) we just kind of keep coming back to this. I mean, this is, this is, do you remember, remember the nineties? You remember Anui in the nineties that we, that like the reds are the living embodiment of, of the, uh, of the nineties now. Okay. Here's a question that will force us to, to put some skin in the game. Okay. In what year will Jose Peraza change his Twitter handle? Because Jose Peraza's Twitter handle is at Jose Peraza SS. So clearly he has decided <laughs> that he is a shortstop, regardless of what some prospect evaluators might say, regardless of what even the Reds might say in that he came up for the Reds last year and played at second base and played at center field, but did not play at shortstop. And maybe he's blocked by Zach Cozart. Dude, if one his, can be blocked. Ben, 
Yeah. And his official his bio is still official Twitter of Jose Peraza in the Atlanta Braves organization. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so that So maybe he just hasn't been on Twitter in a couple maybe of years. Maybe he just hasn't been on Twitter. But Jose Peraza, but, I command you to change your Twitter profile. <laughs> so that is something to follow for Reds fans. When will Jose Peraza accept that he is not a shortstop? Cuz at some point in his career that will happen even if he's a full-time shortstop for a while. He won't be a full-time shortstop forever. So when will Jose Praza change his Twitter handle? That's something Reds fans may be able to follow for the next decade. <laughs> Excitement. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe SS is like, you know, um, sugar something. I don't know. I, maybe maybe it's something meaningful to him that has nothing to do with baseball. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that seemingly, I mean, the, the, the rap on him has always been that you know, if it's if it's going to be somewhere, it, it seems more and more like it's going to be second base, and um, and maybe you know he's just kind of a, a bench guy who you know you talked about they played him in center, and you know that's a guy that you can have around, and and you could stick at shortstop for a couple of games, and he becomes a nice little pinch runner, you know, fourth bat off the bench guy who you can stick at the the middle three positions, and and maybe you know have some of your other bench guys be more, you know, corner power type guys that you'd actually want to pinch hit. And then, you know, he's kind of got the middle covered. So, you know, there's value in that. And so, I mean, it seems like the attitude you would want your prospect to have anyway, even if he can't be a shortstop, you want him to think he can be a shortstop. And he has come out and declared publicly that he sees himself as a shortstop. And if you're going to make him change positions, you're going to have to make him change his Twitter handle too. (laughs) I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, Twitter likes me. All right, so we will close, as we always do, with a win total prediction. How many games will the Reds win in 2016? Ben, Sam, I have good news and I have bad news. Okay. I think the Reds are going to be a little bit better in 2016 than they were in 2015. That's the good news. That might qualify as good news. All right. The bad news is I think it's going to be 65 this year instead of 64. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, this this is not a good team. And this is a team that's going to – I mean, it it wouldn't shock me during spring training to hear that Brandon Phillips or Jay Bruce or – you know, any, anybody else who maybe Devin Mesoraco, as I mentioned earlier, that, that those guys are, are packing up for, uh, for other addresses. And it's just going to be a tough year where you've got a lot of prospects and, and middling guys who are kind of getting their, their shot at the big leagues, all trying to learn together and Joey Votto. And, (laughs) you know, that's, that's just not a very good team. And, you know, as, as an Ohio boy, uh, an Ohio native myself, that's kind of sad to say, but I mean, it's just not going to be a very good year in Cincinnati. All right. Well, we talked about the Reds for longer than I think any of us thought we would or could. So we have filled our quota for 2016 if we have accomplished (laughs) nothing else. Um, You can find Russell writing every week at Baseball Prospectus, although we end up discussing about half of his articles on this podcast. But you can also find him on Twitter at PizzaCutter4. And if you're only on Twitter for Reds news, maybe not the best guy to follow. But if you want someone smart to curate the best of the analytical articles the internet produces and put it all in one place, he is a good person to follow. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, guys. All right. So if you'd like to avoid looking at Reds rumors for 20 more minutes, I just looked at MLB Trade Rumors Reds tagged articles and 
the top story was that they were outbid on Bronson Arroyo, which is sad in, in many ways and maybe symbolic of how far they've fallen as an organization. If you'd like to avoid doing that for another 20 minutes, you can stay tuned after this musical break and you will hear Jeff Paternostro talk to Reds reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer, C. Trent Rosecrans. But all I can see is red, 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 red now. What am I gonna do? Joining us now to talk a little bit more about the 2016 Reds is the beat reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer, C. Trent Rosecrans. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me again. Wait, you guys are doing me this quickly? I thought it was reverse order. I, I was really expecting to be the last guy called. Well, we'll get into that. And one of the reasons the Reds are on the docket this early might be because last summer they've traded Johnny Cueto, Todd Frazier, and Araldis Chapman. So what do you think? And Mike Leake. And Mike Leake. So what do you think is the short to medium term plan for Cincinnati and what is now a tightly competitive NL Central at the top? Oh, they're going to be terrible. I mean, that, that's be, the plan. <laughs> that's, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, that that plan has worked for some other teams. I mean, they look at what the Astros were five years. The Cubs, I mean, those were what four or five really bad years, or three, four, whatever it was. I mean, you know, this is a team that realizes they weren't gonna. Each of the last two years, they tried to put band aids on. And then they just said, okay, Band-Aids aren't working. Let's go for the full surgery and rehab. And um, it's it's a move that probably, not probably, that the results have borne out should have been made sooner. And that's going to set them back a little bit more. But it's a decision that had to be made. So, yeah, they're not, it's going to be, them and the Brewers are both going to be pretty bad this year. And that's going to be multiplied by how good the uh, Cardinals, the Pirates, and of course the Cubs are. One face of the franchise, so to speak, of the Reds who wasn't traded this offseason was Brandon Phillips, though not for lack of trying. Oh. Is he still a Red on August 1st? Uh, you know, that's a great question, and it's a tough one to answer because it all lies in his hands. Um, you know, maybe baseball players have different versions of reality than the rest of us. And um, Brandon was looking for... Basically, a, a large extension, almost what he would get in free agency at this point to get to approve a trade because he has 510 rights. And, you know, this is a guy they tried to trade for a while. He had limited no trade rights. And then uh, right before his 510 rights kicked in, he was injured. So he was on the DL when his 510 rights uh, came up. So it, it's someone they'd been trying to trade for a long time, even though in Brandon's head, it was me making it all up. That's not true. Um, so it all depends on whether Brandon decides enough is enough and I don't want to have to sit every once in a while, which he might for Jose Peraza, and which he might uh, just because they, they're kind of looking for some other things and want to convince him that maybe his, uh, his future is better somewhere else. And um, it, it's tough to get into the psychology of another person. Um, he is denied. He, he, he nicks trades to both the Diamondbacks and the Nationals. And when you think of teams that can win, those were, were two right in the cusp. Uh, if, if you're talking about favorites in, in those divisions, 
I, I would think both of those are favorites in their divisions. And uh, Brandon didn't want to go. Instead, he uh, thought he had more leverage, wanted more money, and it was money that neither the Reds nor either the Diamondbacks or Nationals were willing to give him. So uh, that's a long answer to I, I don't know. I really don't. Um, I, uh, my guess would be he is. Um, but because, yeah, I mean, people have tried to speak logic, logically to him before, and that has not swayed him in the past. You mentioned Jose Peraza a bit in your last answer, and the Reds did acquire him from the Dodgers. It's sort of the, from the Reds' point of view, the main piece in the three-team trade that sent Todd Frazier to Chicago. If Phillips does stick around for a while, do they try him out at shortstop, or is that still Zach Cozart's job even after last year's knee injury? Well, I think there's a good question of that they've they've talked about Peraza um, this spring playing three different spots, playing not only shortstop and second base, but also center field, which you know could be some heat on uh, on um, Billy Hamilton and Zach Cozart is the second of three RB years, so if he comes back and shows he's healthy, which I think they want to give every opportunity to let him show he's healthy. And to showcase him because he's a very, very good defensive shortstop. And he could quite honestly help a lot of teams. So, I mean, that's the other thing is you, you want to showcase some of these older players to see if you can trade them off. If the Reds are rebuilding, and it sure seems like they are, generally not just Peraza, but how aggressive do you see them being giving some of their top prospects, say maybe a Robert Stevenson or Cody Reed, an opportunity in 2016 somewhere along the line if the minor league performance warrants it? I think uh, very much so. And and that is backed up by who else are they going to have in that rotation? <laughs> I mean, right now you have Anthony Disclafani and Rysila Glacius are the only two that should go into spring training saying these two guys are probably in my rotation. They have two of five spots. Now they have a ton of candidates. Uh, there's no shortage of pitching talent. Um, it's all unproven and it's all young, but there's a lot of pitching talent there. And, and I think, you know, both Reed and Stevenson, if, if they have great springs, they could, they could make the club, they could make the rotation out of spring. So we haven't talked about Joey Votto yet. Let's talk about Joey Votto. He's good. Yeah. That's uh, that's the consensus everywhere but Cincinnati. <laughs> well, two questions. How many times does he walk in 2016? And do you think he's also on the trade market come the deadline? Again, this is a guy with full no trade um, clause. I think that, heck, if, if anybody wants to approach the Reds, they're certainly going to listen. They've been listening for a couple years, for the last two years, about Joey Votto. That's a very specialized market, and then you're also dealing with a player and his decisions. Um, there are a few places I can see Joey Votto going. Uh, one of them, though, it seems like a fantastic fit, and that's Toronto. I think he would be willing. Earlier in his career, I would have said there's no way in heck he would he would want to go home. Um, but he's kind of moved some of his offseason training to Toronto, uh, he's kind of embraced it more. I think you that would be a possibility now, in which I would think wouldn't have thought it was before. And really, that's about the only place I can see is is him going to Toronto. Now, if Alex Anthopoulos were still the GM in Toronto, th- there's a situation where I could have seen this happening this offseason. But with the new regime, I, I'm not. I, I don't see it. 
Well, you spent more time with Joey Votto than just about anyone outside of his family and maybe even more than that. What do you think, uh, how is he going to react to another year of a not very good Reds team? Because they were pretty good or at least competitive for most of his prime. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is Joey Votto, from the outside and, and what I've observed, and, and I can't speak for what's going on inside this guy's head, of really, if anybody, that's the one guy I can't speak of what's going on inside his head. He's, he's of really, there's a lot going on in there. And that's part of his game, though. He sees so much of how, he, he sees it so much as a personal game. Um, and what he can do against a pitcher and what he can do to be the best player that he can be. Um, you know, last year, where, where are the splits? Last year, the second half, when the Reds were just terrible and they weren't competing every day. Well, in the second half, he hit. It was like Barry three, Bonds-ish. Wasn't 362, 535, 617. That's, that's good. So, yeah, I, I don't think it will bother him. I really don't. Um, he's a guy who is very much honed in on his craft and worried about being the best he can be regardless of the situations or what's around him. And uh, he's shown a great ability to do that, whether his team is playing well, whether he is physically able. He's just a wonder to watch every day, and, and that's one of the saving graces of uh, – Looking ahead at six weeks of spring training and 162 games of following this team this year. Apparently, unless you're actually a Cincinnati Reds fan. So why don't they like Joey Votto? Is it just the sort of the old Bill James, the best player on a bad team gets disproportionate criticism kind of thing? Well, I mean, he got disproportionate criticism when he was the best player on an okay team. I think there is a belief that he should... Do things that aren't to his strengths. Here's a guy who has a command of the strike zone better than anybody in baseball. I think I think we'd all agree to that, I would hope. And people see it as a weakness. I think it's all that little league, you know, mentality that walks are although your coach tells you that a walk is as good as a hit, well, real men don't walk. That's a big part of it. And um a lot of it is that the um announcing crew, the people who bring it bring it to most the game to most of the people kind of fall on that side that they think he should swing outside the zone more and, and try to hit the ball more uh, as opposed to taking his walks and that some of his walks aren't whatever. And then the third part is, is that same group is focused on the RBI stat as a, as an evaluator of a single baseball player's ability, which or desire or whatever. I, I, I honestly don't get it. I watch this guy every day and think it's, it's amazing what this person can do on the baseball field and in the batter's box. Moving to the starting rotation for a minute, but really only just a minute. <laughs> you mentioned Rysel Iglesias and he had a, he had a good finish to his 2015 season, which was his first in the majors after coming over from Cuba. How high do you think expectations are for him in 2016, both in sort of internally with the Reds and maybe on a more national level, is this going to be a coming out party for him? Maybe. I don't know that any, it's going to be a coming out party for, for really anybody just because it's 
nobody's going to be paying attention to the Reds. But this is a, I think he's a very good pitcher. You know, the guy he reminds me the most of, and this is probably my bias from being around the Reds so long, he's like a Bronson Arroyo that throws harder. And I, that's a very good thing if, if he can add that kind of consistency and um, durability. You know, he goes all sorts of different arm angles. He throws every pitch is a little bit different because of the arm angles and what he does. And he can be very, very good. He was, he was very fun to watch. And um, this is a guy that the Reds, which is what they've done, is they've decided it's kind of been an organizational thing that they, they look at guys who have been relievers they say you're going to be a starter, and we're going to let you start until you show you show us you can't start. You know, most people, except for Earl's Chapman, uh, but that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, most people said, "Oh, Iglesias is he's a he's a he's a reliever." They said, "No, we, we think he can we can start." Uh, they did that with Michael Lorenzen. They did that with uh, Tony Singrani, who's showing that he is probably a reliever um, after some success as a starter. They they've done it with a uh, Nick Howard, who is really struggled in the minors. So I think this is a this is one of the success stories and I think this guy can be very very good. So when does his uh White Blues album come out then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I don't need to tell you this. Brian Price has had a bit of a rocky tenure as manager really? of the Reds, yeah. Huh. I, I read that somewhere. Huh. He enters this season on the last year of his contract and as you've already said the team is unlikely to contend. How hot is his seat? It's an interesting question um, because this team, he's in a unique situation. You know, a lot of people are expecting him to be fired after last year. Honestly, I think they just said, well, we're not going to be very good next year. Why pay two guys to manage this team when we already have one? And the one change this year is Brian has talked about being a little more involved with the pitching staff which in his first two years, he's a former pitching coach, as we all know. Um, his first two years, he was really kind of hands-off on that. Well, they got rid of uh, pitching coach Jeff Pico, brought in Mark Riggins, who's uh, a former pitching coach at the big league level and has been the Reds' uh, pitching coordinator in the minors for the last couple of years. So he, he's got more experience with the Reds' pitching staff than Jeff Pico, who, if he had returned, would have had. Um, so that's kind of interesting, but Brian has talked about being more involved with the pitching staff. Here's a guy who has a fantastic reputation. I mean, let's be honest. Worst case scenario for Brian Price is that he gets fired at mid season, takes a half a season off, gets paid for that half season. And then next year gets a job just about anywhere he wants to be, to be a pitching coach and get paid a million dollars a year to do it. If that's the worst case scenario, I'm not I'm not crying for Brian Price. So uh yeah, I can see him gone at at the halfway point or at the all-star break. I can see him sticking around through the whole season. Now, can I see him back next year? That that could be tough. I'll let you go on this. Who do you think is a red that maybe isn't known to even fairly rigorous baseball fans, but one that will be important to their 2016 team? Eugenio Suarez, I don't know how many people watched him last year, but he had a really good season. Um, hit, what, 283, 15, 446, 13 home runs. So a guy who I think is, he's got really good gap power, and I think that's where we saw a lot of it is those doubles. I mean, he, had, he had 19 doubles in 97 games. 
um, and, and 14 and 13 home runs. Uh, he's got some good, easy power. Um, he's going to be playing third base this year, uh, going off, taking over for Todd Frazier if, if Zach Cozart's healthy, and um, moving him off short, which which could help him. And I think uh, he's a guy who's got a really good bat, and and we'll see what 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 happens with him. I mean, I, I don't know for the overall team success, but it's a it's a it's an interesting guy to watch. So the Reds are going to be bad this year. Is just Joey Votto going to be their all star, and that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Or I mean, maybe JJ uh, Hoover if, if he gets a lot of saves. Yeah, you know, something like that. Um, so it'll be yeah, and uh, Joey Votto will get a trip to to. Um, to san diego and and hopefully i do too you never did answer my question how many times does he walk this year how many times does he walk this year let's see it's a good question he had 143 last year yeah i i mean is 150 is not out of the question 155 i'm I'm gonna go a 155 so you don't think it goes the walk rate goes that spikes that much even without frazier in the lineup no because I mean, even with Frazier, Frazier was slumping so badly sometimes last year. He's so up and down. I, I don't see that much change of how people approach Joey Votto. I, I think they just they do what they they stay away from his power. And if he tends, if he's going to walk, he's going to walk. And even if you don't want to walk him, he he could walk. I I don't see it spiking that much. I just Joey is who he is and um despite what's around him he's going to be very very good see trent rosecrans cincinnati inquirer at c trent on twitter that's pretty impressive you were to get only a uh, six character Twitter you, I, handle i tell everybody it's one of the smartest things i do so every time there's one of these new things coming up i go and claim a name i claimed i was on twitter really early i got the six uh it, you've you've hit on a hot button topic i just told a college class of how important that is for the branding and all that kind of thing is I got a six letter one and um, I've been trying since 2000 to get ctrent.com, but it, uh, it belongs to a Connecticut rental company. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, and um, I have a Google calendar alert for every time it expires, their domain expires to go look at it, to see if I can get it like that guy who got Google for 10 minutes. Mm. Um, but uh, they, They've been good about renewing their 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 uh, URL. So, yeah, it's tough. Um, and I've been talking to our new guy, Zach Buchanan, because his Twitter handle is terrible. He's <laughs> going to trade it at some point and change it because it's like AZC because he's coming from Arizona Republic, Arizona Central. It's AZC underscore. Oh, yeah, you can't have the Zach underscore in there. Something. Oh, the underscores are terrible. So Zach Buchanan, who is uh, going to be my new partner, is will have will soon have a better Twitter handle. It's not going to be, you know, as good as C-Trent because, really, that ship has sailed. But uh, it'll be better than AZC underscore Zach B. It's okay. We're breaking news here on the Effectively Wild podcast on Zach Buchanan's Twitter handle. So that's good. The important stuff. Well, thanks for coming on and talking a little 2016 Reds with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. That's it for today. Thank you to Russell and C. Trent. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. 
Sam and I wrote a book. It's called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, and it's about our experience running the Sonoma Stompers last summer, an independently team in California. It comes out on May 3rd, although if you're lucky and you pre-order, it might ship in late April. So you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else books are sold to get a copy. If you go to the BP homepage and click on the link to Amazon or Barnes & Noble there, BP will get a few cents from the sale at no extra cost to you. You can also support our sponsor, the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back tomorrow with the next team in our series, the Baltimore Orioles. I'm